The Other Side of the News is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from the other side of midnight. We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus to bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary based on well-verified references vetted through vigilance and discernment. Our desire is to awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community. Learning new things, asking questions, getting compelling answers, and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity. We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way. With clear insights and fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news. Welcome. My name is Timothy Saunders. I'm one of your trio of co-hosts on the 70th edition of The Other Side of the News. I'm speaking to you this early morning from an emerald green Aegean peninsula situated in Sapphire Blue Sea. As the sun rises here, whichever time zone you are currently experiencing, hopefully we're relaxing into this show and are eager to hear some fascinating insights from our latest guest. I'll soon be joined by Kintia from her wheelhouse in the Bay Area, together with Annette Driscoll, who is also currently located in California. This show is entitled Tyranny Through Bloodlines. I continue to feel shell-shocked while observing how so many people continue to lap up the mainstream narrative regarding the global COVID measures. Surely there are sufficient glitches in the matrix if secrets hidden in plain sight, and even crystal clear warnings which create the current level of cognitive dissonance to attract a few bogeys on their truth radar and to raise even some level of suspicion. Let's surmise a little. Let's imagine what the minority has termed the vaccine is in fact a 100% totally harmless and fully tested natural product an elixir of life that enhances and optimizes the health of every cell in our body. If this was pushed on to you and to your family so aggressively, would you accept it? Would the manner in which people are being so intensively blackmailed by the minority's weak-minded public governments, Main Street and social media prostitutes and even ever-hungry global corporations not arouse some suspicion in you? It would certainly catch my eye. But for the masses, apparently not. To return from our daydream uh, to our current reality, this is what yet another credentialed individual has to say about the experimental injections. Keith, please play sound excerpt A. I think we should be respectful of each other. For the next person... Brother, disappointed. My name is Dr. Sean Brooks, PhD, um, Oxford. I have 
48 publications, including 23 books. I've studied health medicine, anatomy, and physiology for approximately 21 years. Dr. Robert Malone, who created the messenger RNA vaccine, has said no one should ever take these jabs ever under any circumstance whatsoever. He created it, and he says don't ever do it. So let me explain what's going to happen to the people who have ta taken it. Excuse me. The people who have taken it are going to die in the next six months to three to five years for three reasons. Number one, you've dr dramatically decreased your own immune system by 35%. The first jab did it by at least 15. The second did it by 35 now. If you take any booster shot, you will die. That's it. You take a flu shot in the future, you will die. The second reason, antibody-dependent enhancement. Antibody-dependent enhancement is what is happening with these jabs with everybody who has taken them. Unless, of course, you've taken a placebo, but there's no way that you would know that. So given that fact, antibody-dependent enhancement tricks the entire body into believing that the cell that's eating the pathogen is eating it when it isn't. It ends up leading to what's called a cytokine storm, which causes organ failure. That will cause your death, and there's no stopping that. No amount of drugs will stop that. The third thing, blood clotting. Everyone who has taken the jabs is blood clotting. If you don't believe me, there's a way you can find out. Take what's called the D-dimer test. What that does is that detects blood clotting at the microscopic level. They're cutting full blood clots out of people right now. As I'm talking to you, millions have died from the jabs. In your last meeting, you advocated for people to take the jabs potentially in the future, along with wearing masks. And I heard parents say the same thing. So to the parents who are actually considering jabbing their own children, you're going to sterilize them permanently. People who have taken the jabs are sterilized. 80% of women who have been jabbed have lost their children in the first trimester. You can't have kids. You've also injected yourself with the equivalent of HIV. You can now no longer breastfeed, donate blood, donate organs, donate blood plasma, nor bone marrow. If you don't believe me, try to donate blood and blood plasma and find out what happens. You will be denied, unless, of course, you live in California, in which case they're allowing people to donate toxic blood with spike proteins in it. The jabs create spike proteins. They're in the jabs themselves, and they create it by snapping your RNA in half. You are no longer a human anymore. You are something else, and you are susceptible to countless diseases. Now, here's what's going to happen in the future very quickly. So you have 15 seconds. Great. I don't know what percentage of your staff has taken the jabs, but your school is going to close. You will not stay open. You will close because they will fall ill and they will die. That will happen in all of your buildings. It will have. It's already happening. All right, thank you, sir. I'm, I bet it is. Thanks. It's already happening. Sir. Good luck. Nothing can stop the thank you, sir. Well, that was the voice of Dr. Sean Brooks, PhD. You may find the link to the original file on our show page. This is a highly qualified, experienced doctor who should continue to be highly respected, except the minorities hypnotize millions according to their program attempt to shut him down. You'd think such a significant warning would deserve a few more seconds. Well, I no longer think the decision to vax or not to vax 
is about the available information. Let's be honest, we alone have consistently supplied around 3,500 links during the course of our previous circa 70 shows. It has very little to do with the science. Our mostly credentialed guests consistently validate their claims with either first-hand experience from, or from evidence or from their literature. We have shown the COVID measures have nothing to do with health. It is clear that even the pandemic has been long predetermined and is expressly focused on a power-grabbing freedom from humanity with a view to bring in the next general, general uh, great reset. Excuse me. So acceptance of this narrative has far more to do with the extent and level of hypnosis in which so many people continue to cruise through their life. The other day, I was outside of my office, taking some air while waiting for a courier to arrive. In these few minutes, I observed a long freeway of ants. Thousands of them were making the return journey from their headquarters to a piece of fruit that had fallen from a nearby tree. I decided to pick up the fruit and move it much closer to their nest. I saw several hundred ants evacuate the fruit only to join the ant highway, now some 12 inches away, all heading in the direction of where the fruit used to be located. I continued to observe thousands of ants make the return journey to the old location, presumably returning to their nest empty-handed. As they returned to their nest, they passed by the same piece of fruit, which was now less than a foot away. While ants clearly possessed amazing skills in construction, organization, and logistics, they are also intensely programmed. I'm sure in time one of the ant scouts will report the new location of the fruit, catalyzing a new strategy to be introduced to the colony to continue harvesting the same piece of fruit. However, it occurred to me, are we humans so very different to these incredible ants? Are we all cruising through life in a hypnotic state, having been injected and indoctrinated since our very first breath? Is this why so many people continue to blissfully go through life wearing useless masks, anti-social distancing, and are now queuing up for vax boosters on circuit day 515 of two weeks of flattening the curve? All in a desperate attempt to follow the minorities to program. Today I read the Danish government has decided to abolish all COVID measures on the 1st of October. This is probably the best decision in the world. Of course, we will need to verify and follow this up. We have recently reported that Alberta, Canada, and the Philippines have also made a similar U-turn on the pandemic protocols, joining a number of other countries and states that remain free. So what could possibly be the cause of placing so many people into this global hypnosis in the first place? Well, fear is a great catalyst for survival. However, in the wrong hands, the idea of survival can be so easily replaced by sleight of hand with control. That is the minority's control over humanity. There are numerous other factors that come to mind, as well as just as many examples of knowledge that can illuminate the unknown to catalyze humanity's return to freedom. One factor is the extensive use of mercury, a mysterious and highly sought after liquid metal that originates from an ore called cinnabar, Cinnabar is rare, but is prolific in Almaden, in Spain, where it has been mined for thousands of years. I'm sure you know how mercury is highly toxic and mostly deadly to humans. 
However, less well known is it is unusually absorbed all metals with few exceptions, iron being one of them. Mercury is an efficient conductor of electricity and a creator of electricity when rotated at speed. It also is a perfect medium when experimenting with magnetism. It therefore seems to be an incredibly efficient interface between electricity, magnetism, and radio frequency. And this is also what has traditionally been injected into humans with no liability under the term of vaccine. So has vaccine been, sorry, has mercury been used to poison us, to block our potential? Mercury's unique properties as a highly sophisticated electric, magnetic, and radio frequency interface been used to indoctrinate us or even hypnotize us? And another question, is graphene oxide the new and improved interface now being used to take over from mercury? By the way, the scars left by certain vaccinations, one in particular called the BCG, are these marks a more primitive equivalent to the latest vaccine passports? How many of us have these circular scars on our left upper arm? Is this a branding mark? Perhaps a mark to separate us from other bloodlines? I very much look forward to hearing our guest's perspective regarding this essential waking process. All of you to illuminate the best path to lead us to a positive outcome. You may find us at www.theothersideofthenews.com. There you will see details for the show, quick links to our bios, as well as links to our show items, references, and selected research. As usual, there is a huge collection of information to read, watch, and listen to most of which has been handpicked from independent sources. I urge you to study them and to even download your own copies sooner than later as the censorship robots working around the clock to rewrite our history in real time. During the last week, we've been inundated by a deluge of remarkable events and headlines reported the news to discuss, validate, and present each topic in correct context could all too easily fill up an entire show by itself. As the other side of the news is not per se a typical news show, and in order to make the best use of our available airtime, I believe we should plot a direct course to greet the rest of our team and introduce our special guest tonight, Susan Bradford. Good evening, Kintia. Good evening, Aneta. Have you been caught eating onions on stage this week? <laughs> uh, no, I haven't been on stage, but I have been eating onions. So I yeah. have... Yeah, you know how you always say that we have this remarkable week. Well, I think that this week is truly remarkable. And I was trying to think of the perfect word for it, and I finally, I think I got it. I think it is craptacular. Craptac, use my language. But this unadulterated bullshit coming out of the District of Corruption has really got me going this week. So I'm going to go off on one of my little rants, and, um, well, here we go. So the southern border crisis rages on. Even while Mayorkas admits on a hot mic, he didn't think was on, it's not sustainable. Really? You're kidding me. I mean, oh my God, I never would have figured that out. I'm so glad these people are our leaders. The, um, the American energy supply and food supply is in critical condition. That wouldn't have anything to do with canceling the pipeline in this country and then funding the Russian pipeline and other, other Middle Eastern entities. Would it? I mean, maybe. And then there's this out-of-control inflation issue. They tell us it's just temporary. So when was inflation ever just temporary or actually the devaluation of the dollar? 
so we're told it might have something to do with flooding the market with, well, made up money. Uh, but here's what I know. Less than a year ago, it cost me about $40 to fill up my tank. I have a 15-gallon tank. And um, right now, currently, it's $75 to fill up my tank. Less than a year. Uh, we're only eight months into this year. And uh, I can tell you at the beginning of the year, it was 40 So uh, another thing is uh, last year, I was doing a building project, and I bought 25 sheets of this OSB, which is oriented strand board. It's a relative of plywood. And uh, so my total for that particular piece of material, those parts, 25 sheets, plus tax was $330. One year later, the exact same material are $1,705. For me, that's cost prohibitive, and I think for a lot of people. And this is affecting all of us. Not a single one of us doesn't have an astronomically higher grocery bill. And everything else that we're trying to do, everything is up. So... But hey, if you're in the elite club, you could quite possibly buy a lovely piece of art from the artist formerly known as Shyster for an undisclosed amount of money and keep your identity private. I mean, I think you probably should since it's really just money laundering now, isn't it? Yeah. The corruption regarding the fraudulent elections and the cover-up that the ensuing, that, that's ensuing rages on and continues to expand, which is actually a good thing. The American people had zero confidence in not only in our elections, but those who were supposedly elected. More accurately, I would say selected. Biden now proudly wears the badge of having the lowest ratings ever. I wonder how he got there. But all that currently pales in comparison to what I call Saigon on steroids, Afghanistan. It is now an inescapable fact that Biden, the Biden administration, has actively uh, enabled the Taliban to take over Afghanistan and has created a humanitarian crisis in which the protracted, protracted extermination of tens of thousands of Americans and Afghanis appears to be assured. It smells a bit like Saigon in 75, but I would say considerably worse. One of the worst parts about it is that um, is by the State Department to cancel a critical State Department program providing swift and safe evacuations of American out-of-crisis zones. There was a blockbuster, oh boy, I'm tongue-tied <laughs> There was a blockbuster report uh, from the National Pulse released on Wednesday, and it was sensitive but unclassified State Department document. And uh, really what, what it comes down to is that in June of this year, uh, it was, a program that was designed to, hand, to uh, handle medical, and diplomatic, and logistical support for Americans overseas and when there was a crisis situation. And it was, it was paused by Anthony Blinken, the State Department, in June of this year. Uh, so they revoked all the funding, even though the Afghanistan withdrawal moved. And the decision uh, could have come as early as February from what we're seeing with the documents. So... Uh, this is just, this is outrageous considering what we're seeing go on right now in, the, in this country, in the, in the world is watching. You know, this is, this is terrible for us and, of course, for everyone over there. And I feel particularly bad for not just the people that are on the ground there, but all the veterans, all the people that fought in this war. And they're, they're finally, you know, they're going, what was I fighting for? We were just going to hand it back over because we know that it can be done in a different way. And I will get into that in a second. But, you know, we're watching this debacle unfold in horror. It's, the ineptitude is beyond description. 
there's a callous indifference towards the people, towards the people in Afghan, towards all of the Americans that are, all the civilians. Uh, you know, it's, it's scary. Our Joint Chief of Staff, uh, General Mark Miley, I mean, he's like, gives me the willies, right? Uh, he says that uh, he had no idea that a collapse could have happened so quickly. It could, how could that possibly be? Um, maybe if he was focused on the military and what they need to be doing instead of, uh, you know, a few more men in high heels or a few more transgender surgeries or a few more courses in white rage and critical race theory, the U.S. military would be ready once again to become the most feared in the world. But that's not what he's focused on, is it? He's focused on this over here instead of actually military strategy. And uh, it doesn't take reading uh, Sun Tzu's Art of War to figure out you get your civilians out, you get your assets out, and then the troops are the last to leave. But no, that's not what we did. We did it backwards. And now, you know, we're, <laughs> they actually said, believe it or not, they actually are saying that we're counting on the Taliban to get uh, to let the Americans go and get them to the, you know, they can get to the airport. But they're on their own to get to the airport. Now, there's all kinds of, of uh, <clears throat> reports coming back where they are, you know, they are not getting to the airport. There was a Marine with a three-year-old son today who was outside the airport 10 feet away from from the uh, where he needed to get through. He could not get through because of the Taliban surrounding the airport. So, you know, other countries like, um, France and Germany and the UK, they're sending in their military to get their civilians out. So what's going on? Well, Lloyd Austin, he, uh, he was asked a number of times. He's completely out of his depth. By the way, he's the Secretary of Defense. This should like, make you pretty you know, fearful about what's going on in our country. And he was asked how many Americans were left, and uh, he honestly didn't know. So the question was thrown to the uh, person in charge from the Pentagon, and oh my gosh, he didn't know either. Um, inept, that would be the understatement of the year, or maybe the decade. So, you know, we have this, this uh, Mark Miley says, we have the, the Afghan security forces have the capacity to sufficiently fight and defend the country. And he, Joe Biden also insisted that the Afghan forces would continue valiantly. Well, you know, there's a problem with this. Uh, there's a big problem with this. We we trained the, the military. We did train the forces over there, and they are trying to go on. But we have uh, we, we basically train, train them to fight alongside us. You know, we gave them the ability to fight as an auxiliary of us, including using our air power. We don't fight strictly a ground war. We fight on multiple levels. And... Uh, so when we pulled out, um, we pulled out all of their underpinnings, in other words. So they were treated and trained as an adjunct of the U.S. military. Uh, they were not treated to stand on their own. Okay, So to say this is disingenuous, and many of the Afghanis have, are, are fight, fighting and trying to stand up to this. And uh, the Taliban has been left with all the military equipment, all the, their arms very to the teeth. They've got night vision. They have all kinds of very sophisticated technology. Not only that, it was all left on the ground to uh, be given to their new allies, which is China, by the way. China had been talking to the Taliban, and I, it looks like it was pretty well planned. Of course, 
they want to work with Pakistan. They've already been working with Pakistan. He's been, we've been funding Pakistan to Taliban this whole time. Hmm. Think about that, right? So now they've got they've got that, and they want to they want to run this road right through the, the Beltway that they talk about the global um, Belt and Road. And that's so now they've got Afghanistan. And believe me, that technology that was left on the ground, it can be reverse engineered, and it will be. So this just goes on and on about the total incompetence. But I I, I could go on for the whole time, but we don't. We don't have that much time, but I do want to point out a few things that were just so bad. I can't, I can't, I can't not say them. So, you know, this Biden guy, right? Uh, he, uh, you know, he doesn't bear the whole uh, responsibility for the war itself, but it does, he does totally bear the responsibility for the shameful way in which the war was concluded. And you know, he seems to be intellectually bereft. And I'm not being mean, but this is a person you would not send to the store on their own. He's also, you know, constantly on vacation, isn't he? I mean, he disappears. He won't take any um, uh, press conference questions. He can't. He can't answer them. He can't even read his cue cards at this point without getting confused. He has softball questions, and then he can't even read the right answers. He absolves himself of all responsibility in the interview he did do with ABC. He completely absolved himself of all responsibility. He deflected blame to his predecessor, which is amazing, you know, considering the whole plan that was set up before he completely aborted, and now we have this disaster. So also, one has to question in uh, – the, the interview that we did see with him, he didn't seem to have any concept of time. Something that happened two days before, he said it happened four days, four or five days before, and it really didn't matter. Well, it does matter because people are dying left and right from this. So I want to, in that same interview um, uh, with ABC, I wanted to say a couple more things about, yeah, he's, he's either completely incompetent, has no brains, or he's a liar. I'm going to vote for the latter. Anyway. Uh, he says uh, there was no way to leave Afghanistan without uh, chaos ensuing. But uh, six weeks ago, he said the Taliban takeover was highly unlikely. So which is it, Joey boy? Which one is it? Okay. You're lying through your teeth. Uh, Biden, the Afghan army, he said was 300,000 strong. But the real number is 178,800. And the truth is, is when we remove all the intelligence, we remove all the equipment, we remove all the support. They were not trained to be on their own uh, as an um, autonomous army, okay? Uh, Biden said that uh, the U.S. does not have a military presence in Syria. Well, that's interesting. I think that the 900 troops that are in Syria would beg to differ. Biden says he can't recall the military officials suggesting that he keep a stable uh, 2,500 troops present in Afghan, but uh, reports show that the Joint Chiefs of Staff that would be Miley, uh, made, an exact, made exactly such a request. Uh, Biden said that the U.S. has control of the Cabal airport, uh, though the Taliban fighters have formed a wall around the airport controlling who goes in and who goes out. And uh, the death count is rising very rapidly. By the way, these same Taliban fighters are going door to door, pulling people out and shooting them at the moment. So, um, not to mention what they're doing to women and girls. This is unbelievable. 
So Biden said uh, that no one is being killed at the at the airport. Well, I kind of covered that. They are being killed, and uh, they are all being killed throughout the country. So this is a very, very dark thing. I could go on further, but I will say this. Back in 1979, when Russia invaded Afghanistan, my father told me then, he said, they'll never win. No country that ever goes in will win. And I could go into great detail, and maybe I will uh, later next week or something, about the big difference between how the Russians withdrew and why the, the government was able to stay in place for three years afterwards versus what we're seeing 11 days till it falls. But uh, that whole thing um, that we're looking at there is about leadership, and it's about taking responsibility, not making excuses. We have a responsibility because we did go in there. And, you know, when we leave, when we pull out uh, the world's most powerful military and we're humiliated by a group of third world tribesmen and peasants, isn't because the military failed. It's because the leadership has failed and the chickens will come home to roost on this. So uh, with that, I would say, hey, let's, Let's keep our eyes focused on what we need to keep focused on. The globalists are throwing everything at us, trying to get us to focus on anything but we, what we should be. The false flags will continue to come in hot and heavy, and it's hard sometimes to discern which ones are false flags or what, to what degree they are. I think we have a certain number of false flags with the Afghanistan thing, for example. Um, but keep in mind that Julian Assange 10 years ago spoke these words, because the goal is not to completely subjugate Afghanistan. The goal is to use Afghanistan to wash money out of the tax bases of the United States and out of the taxes of European countries through Afghanistan and back into the hands of the transnational security elite. The goal is to have endless war, not a successful war. With that, I think we're ready to go to break. Well, you're listening to the other side of the news, and uh, that was Annetta and our also other co-host, Timothy Saunders, and myself, Kinthea, will return after the break with a brief update from our Canadian reporter, Darlene, and our special guest tonight, Susan Bradford. Well, I think you're looking with this great reset, you're looking at Mr. Globaloni's efforts to move everybody into a cashless society, which, you know, like it or not, that's a one-way mirror, folks. Because at that point, you're not dealing with a currency, you're dealing with a corporate coupon that they can adjust the value of at the push of a button, depending on whether or not you're good little boys and girls. And if you're getting into a system where all of the infrastructure of financial clearing is in the hands of the bankers, that's not a system you want to go into. You look at the West, and more importantly, if you look at what some people call the Anglosphere, the, the Western powers that are English-speaking, the United Kingdom, Canada, United States, and so on, I do think it's the case there. They're using a health crisis really to drive a, a political agenda. 
and the health crisis itself is largely blown way, way out of proportion to what's actually the case. If you look at what Mr. Globalone is up to, they are recreating slavery. And the, the thing that is unique about slavery is they now have the means of protecting the capital because now they can literally implant your body with the means to track you. It's not going to go away overnight, but there are already, uh, I think, some hopeful signs of cracks beginning to appear in the edifice. This is Joseph P. Farrell. And for all the news the media doesn't like you to hear, tune in to the other side of the news. And welcome back to the other side of the news. Our show tonight is entitled Tyranny Through Bloodlines, and our special guest is Susan Bradford. Co-hosting are Timothy Saunders, Annette Driscoll, and myself, Kinthea. And I want to pick up the baton here. (laughs) I have to say I am doing my happy dance. And the reason is, is because we've had a historic win as the FCC loses a lawsuit on the safety guidelines for 5G and wireless in a case brought forth by childrenshealthdefense.org, headed up by attorney Robert Kennedy Jr. You'll find details for that in my links. It's a historic case against the federal um, communication, um, the USFCC. It was a challenge decision not to review its, it challenged its decision not to review its guidelines regarding wireless-based technologies, including 5G. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit published its decision on August 13th. The court ruled that the FCC failed to consider the non-cancer effects of wireless technology and had not updated their 1996 radio emissions guidelines. Picture this. How much has technology advanced and morphed in the last 35 years? Come on. Clearly, the FCC is not looking after our well-being. Rather, they are in the pockets of the large wireless corporations. I had my own experience with their ruthless attorneys, when they put up a tower across the street from my home. My neighbors and I, we went to the city hearing, and when we got there, we were told that we couldn't mention health concerns. Imagine that. (laughs) Yet these criminals in power are willing to shut down an entire country because of so-called health concerns. They speak with forked tongues, saying lies and then doing whatever they want. Well, anyone who takes a look at documents better be prepared for a lot of reading as Kennedy and the Children's Health Defense submitted 11,000 pages of documentation. 
God bless him. I love him. God bless him. So with that, I want to bring on Darlene, our Canadian reporter, for an update of what's happening in Canada. Darlene, are you with us? I certainly am, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to be on the show tonight, and I'm really looking forward to hearing from our guest, Susan, this evening. Me too. So there's lots happening in Canada. I'm going to touch on a couple of things that um, I think are first to mind. And uh, as as you know, Canada is Kami Canada. I was uh, speaking with Cynthia earlier this week and letting her know that we have not seen clear skies here in Canada and whatever they're spraying into the air. I'm sure you can hear a little bit in my voice, but um, it's it's killed all my plants. As you know, zucchini and squash are pretty darn hardy. They're like weeds and uh, the leaves have basically burnt. So there's something very toxic and uh, there is no doubt that they are uh, taking out the selenium potential in any of our soil, which we need for our DNA. So, um, and the forest fires, I was also involved in my very first evacuation, uh, getting ready to head out the door. Uh, we weren't quite on alert, but um, I was uh, privy to be a part of a survival workshop with a esteemed colleague of mine, Brian Condy. We were doing an Andy Condy show. We were driving back through the mountains, and we saw some very interesting lit fires. And those fires ended up being, interestingly enough, um, at every entrance, so a lot of these roads that lead into the mountains, there's only one way in and one way out, and that's where the fires were most set. So there's no doubt in my personal opinion that um, they were wanting to herd us into the city centers to have a little roast fest. And fortunately, we had some water uh, pilots that came were right here in front of the Okanagan Lake, uh, six of them that circled over where I'm currently living. Um, and we're able to extinguish that. But this, this, the skies are very, very cloudy. But we move forward. We move forward despite that. So I connected with Ted Koontz. You've had him on as a guest. And uh, he is the president of Vaccine Choice Canada. And he had a message that he wanted me to share with everyone. And uh, he would like people that are listening to this and uh, that are getting the recording to go to Freedom Rising Initiative. Uh, so it's freedomrising.info. I believe Cynthia can put that into that website link into the uh, the program, as well as the Victoria Declaration, and that's the victoriadeclaration.com. And what Ted Koontz of uh, Vaccine Choice Canada would like everyone to do is read it, sign it, and share the declaration. Uh, his He's endeavoring to put together an educational component to this, uh, potentially on Zoom, and this is going to be a national experience to explain our constitutional rights and how to defend our rights through non-compliance, because that's where we're at. Uh, there is also in Canada uh, that being presented uh, to us that we want to share, and it's a worldwide walkout that's being planned uh, September 1st, 2021, in support of health freedom. I also wanted to share a Zoom call that happened Wednesday, August 18th with Ted Koontz and a group of uh, incredible people. The guest was Dr. David Martin. There were over 2,000 people on that Zoom at the time. And I want to share some very valuable information that Dr. David Martin um, gave to the crowd, and uh, he spoke very strongly 
about weaponization. And some information that most people are not aware of, and this definitely pertains to Canada, so you Canadians, I want you to really listen to this closely. This has not been going on since 2020. In 2002, the spike protein was uh, discovered. Um, and this goes back to 1990 with Pfizer. But what a lot of people, I feel, don't understand is what mRNA is. And that's a computer-generated uh, potential. And that's not from a pathogen. And it's made from non-living material. So Pfizer in 1990 wanted to create gene therapy uh, to have a bioweapon. So let me explain to you what we learned on this call on Wednesday was Canada's role in creating this bioweapon. So in 2005, in order for Canada to be relevant in the biotech space, um, for them to be a research hotbed, is they needed to create a delivery system um, where the mRNA could be developed. And so with NX Pharmaceutical, in 2005, they developed the lipid nanoparticle technology. And that also was developed with a company called Techmera uh, Pharmaceuticals in 2009, which was interwoven with a private company uh, called Acutitis, or pardon me, I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. It's A-C-C-I-T-I-S. It's a private company that did very little reporting. And guess who was involved in that puppy? Moderna and Pfizer. And Justin Trudeau, who I'm going to be speaking about in just a moment, had a financial interest in all this taking place. And what we want the listenership to understand is that there would be absolutely no bioweapon without this technology. And that's how deep the rabbit hole goes with Canada. So back to Justin Trudeau. He's just called an early election. And how early? Two years. Why not? You know, because his concerns are regarding himself. So why have integrity in a country? So he knows that if he puts a rush on this, um, everyone is scrambling. He doesn't give anybody else an opportunity to prepare. Um, well, of course, there's the Dominion machines that are from Toronto that are a part of the election audit that all of us are hearing about globally. And same thing happens every year. In here in BC, where Doug Horgan broke the agreement with other parties in British Columbia, and they say he won with the majority, but when no one was prepared. So two weeks ago, Justin Trudeau gave $6 billion to Quebec for daycare, exactly when the government agreed to vaccine passports. And I use that term vaccine very loosely because we're talking about a bioweapon. So if this is to go through this election where Justin Trudeau is wanting to get a majority, and as we know, there is no election integrity in Canada. This will be the end of Canada if he gets into the House. So we have a group of people here in BC that I'm aware of that are doing their best. They're accelerating the process to get people to get seats together so that we have a voice so at least Justin Trudeau does not have a majority. So that is what I can share with you right now from Canada. I mean, there is so much literally happening. I'm speaking, uh, you know, very lightly on what's taking place across Canada. I'm speaking to you from what's taking place in British Columbia. Uh, on, on Thursday, I was at Interior Health with uh, David Lindsay and a group of freedom fighters uh, to actually have someone from Interior Health come downstairs and answer the questions 
but we simply want to know, has this been isolated? Why are these uh, draconian um, measures been put in place? And we, I've been there three times. I know this has happened four times. And they refused to come down. They had seven police there, and they did not allow us into the building. And they won't come down to speak to us. So, Kinthea, this is where we're at. Oh, my goodness. I'm praying for Canada. I'm praying for the world. And thank Me you too. for that very detailed report. I mean, you know, folks, Canada's just, it's quite close. And this could be happening here. And I have to applaud. I mean, I am I'm really encouraged by the strength I see in the Canadian citizens. Uh, one of the links that you sent me that I put in your section was a Canadian police officer saying that they weren't going to comply. So it's a start. It's definitely it's a start, Cynthia. But we need start. we need more. We need more people standing up. Thank you so much. Well, I'm really excited now to bring on our wonderful guest. She's a prolific author. Susan Bradford is an author and investigative journalist who serves the public interest. She holds an MA in International Relations from the University of Essex. She founded the European Review, a publication for the Center of European Studies at Essex University, and published contributions from leading heads of state on European integration and the Atlantic Alliance. As editor, she covered the Council of Europe Summit in Madrid, which launched the Euro, the Britain in the World Conference, and the anti-NATO debate in the Russian state of Duma. She also served as a senior research fellow for the Atlantic Council of the UK and as Essex representative on the NATO Universities Advisory Committee. Susan has worn many hats within the field of communications, from a speechwriter for UK Shadow Foreign Secretary Michael Howard and Korean Ambassador Sung Tu Yang, to producer for Fox News Channel and news writer for KNX, CBS News. Susan's most recent books are Royal Blood Lies and Tartar Treachery, which reveal the illegitimacy surrounding the nation's ruling families, along with centuries-old Vatican-China collaborations. Welcome to the other side of the news, Susan. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me, uh, Kinthea. Nice to be here. Nice to have you. I mean, I was like so amazed at the, <laughs> the large amount of books that you've written. Um, you know, if anyone starts to pick up one, they're not going to want to stop, I know. Well, I was very uh, passionate about the subject matter. And the, the more I, I dug into the uh, the deep state, the more there was to uncover and uh, hopefully we can completely expose um, who they are, what they're doing, so that we can recover our, our freedom. Well, yes, and you know, we've had some other shows on royal bloodlines, and I'm so curious if you wanna tell us about the royal bloodlines or Tartar, I mean, the Tartars are part of that. Fill us in. Sure, okay. So uh, with the, fir the first book I, I wrote on the royal blood lies, um, 
I was um, I, I drew a connection between the Venetian merchants and the mercenaries from Central uh, Asia um, who were attempting to establish new markets in um, you know in the Indies in, in, in Central Asia. Um, and they were um, intent upon conquest. So they had all the money that they could ever possibly want. What they wanted was power. Um, so um, somehow um, the Rothschilds had co-opted this agenda um, during you know the 1600s, and this happened after the um, the Venetian Empire began to fall. And um, the British uh, uh, Empire was launching its East India Company, um, you know, to establish its own uh, markets around the world. And so the Venetians infiltrated the East India Company. Um, and then I saw that there was a type of subversion um, occurring. Um, I, I'm sure that many are, are aware of what happened during the American Revolution. Um, you know, with, with some of the, you know, with the subversive act, actions surrounding the, uh, the revolutionaries. But um, the Rothschilds were able to, uh, to co-opt the uh, agenda uh, for world conquest um, by somehow uh, be, uh, managing to become the banker to, uh, to royal families, uh, to merchants. Um, they played all sides of the, of the, the revolutions um, and the Napoleonic Wars. And in the process, they were able to um, uh, crash the, the British uh, uh, stock market and then buy breeding rights into the, the British royal family. And from there, they were able to breed themselves into um, families, like royal families around the world. They also were able to put the Vatican in their debt and then control the Vatican as well. And what I was noticing is that they were um, attacking um, uh, the monarchies and replacing them with republics. And the, these republics appear to be, um, uh, you, know, pe the, you know, to represent the interests of the people, but as we're seeing today in its, you know, fullest form, that these republics actually answer to shadow uh, power, to the shadow uh, power elite. So they were engaging in a type of a perpetual war, perpetual revolution, each time um, reorganizing the world's wealth and power into their own hands, you know, without the public really being aware of what was happening. Susan, so, so I'm I'm just curious when you say the Rothschilds, I mean, like this is such a far-reaching plan. It's a few individuals that are the masterminds or are there you know it just is it's incredible how far-reaching this plan is are there other is it just a select few that are figuring this out or is there some other influence going on um that's a very good uh, good question kinzia and um i explored the this aspect that, that you're bringing up in tartar treachery um and so what i discovered is that the um, these merchants, as they were um, uh, traversing into Central Asia, um, these merchants, of course, they were they were they were um, the black they were called the black nobility. Uh, these are powerful merchant families, primarily from Italy, some from from Spain, um, that uh, controlled the Vatican. So as they traversed into uh, Central Asia. They saw that um, the the emperors, um, you know, starting with the, with the Mongolians, were incredibly powerful. Um, they, the Mongolians had a vast empire uh, expanding over to the, the Arctic, 
through parts of, of India, parts of the Middle East, uh, throughout the, you know, the Asian continent. Uh, they were conquerors. They had an incredible amount of wealth, jewels, and gold. And um, the Vatican and its merchants wanted to, uh, to convert the, the Mongolians to, to Christianity or to Catholicism so that the Vatican uh, could hold power over them, like they could recruit them into their ranks. Uh, the Mongolians could not be recruited uh, because they are converted because they believed that they held a, tr a tremendous amount of power through the occult. And they had already not only conquered um, Central Asia, but they were planning on conquering Europe as well. Hmm. So, so the, the Jesuits, um, you know, working with the Vatican um, and these merchants, um, plotted like they were allowed to live with the Mongolians. They um, mapped out their um, their empire. They studied their governments, their uh, you know their religious rituals. And then when the timing was right, they overthrew the Mongolians and they implanted their own um, regime with, with the Ming dynasty. Um, this pattern was repeated again. You know, they would foment revolution and then this in turn became the, the Qing dynasty. And what they were able to do is, um, well, they were, they were following um, the, uh, the practices of, of Confucianism and Confucius uh, I've held the view that if you can, um, if you want the wealth and power of, of you know, the elite, and he himself was an elite, um, what you need to do is foment and exploit grievances. You mobilize the people against the targeted um, class, and then through that revolution, you're able to take what you want, and then you exterminate or you remove your rivals, and then suddenly you are part of the ruling class. So this became like the, the basis of, of Marxism. And a lot of the practices that were or, or the, um, the, the type of um, oppressions that we're dealing with today have their origins in Central Asia. So, for example, from birth, uh, the Central Asian emperors would, um, would track and trace, you know, their, um, you know, their citizens. Um, they expected uh, their, um, their people to, to follow orders without question. Um, they engaged in um, a taxation not to subsidize government, but to, uh, to redistribute wealth from the poor to, to the ruling classes. Um, they held the view that, you know, the, the, you know, that the emperors had a mandate from heaven to rule, and since they held that mandate, all the wealth, all the privileges belonged to them. And the poor were, um, you know, th th it was their destiny to be oppressed and, you know, to be ex exploited, which is exactly what they did. Uh, so with, um, as these merchants began to, um, you know, build alliances with the Central Asians, they discovered that, um, you know, the Asians had a, a particular trade called um, silk, a silk trade, um, the, which became the basis of the, the Silk Road. Um, and this was a, a product that was in great demand in Europe. The Chinese had, uh, had the technology to, to create it. And so based upon uh, this kind of a um, guild system within Central Asia, they built the Hanseatic League, um, which was a very kind of predatory um, capitalistic type of system where they were trying to establish monopolies through um, through war, through revolution, through false flag events, sabotage. They were very ruthless, but they became exceedingly wealthy um, through, uh, through the silk trade. Um, and with that power, um, they were able to, um, 
you know, acquire more, you know, political influence, and then, you know, the, their ascension began from there. But the, uh, the Rothschilds owe their power from, from these networks, from Central Asia, the Vatican, the Jesuits, the Jesuits working behind the scenes to help overthrow uh, governments. In fact, you had the Chinese um, emperors and the Jesuits working together uh, to foment revolutions around the world. And through those revolutions, um, the Rothschilds were able to establish republics that you know, the answer to them. That's amazing. I had no idea that there was this connection with China. I mean, this is the first time hearing of it. Yes, I, I was able to pull up um, Jesuit reports and, and missionary reports. And um, I think Mar- um, the Adventures of Marco Polo, you know, does, you know the, documents part of, you know, of the Venetian journey into Central Asia. But I think um, the Central Asian history has been withheld from, from most of us because um, I think if we were to understand what happened there, we could have anticipated what they're doing today. In fact, the origins of the global uh, cabal and globalism trace to Central Asia. Mm. Mm. Ooh, I hope it's not too late to to find out now. I mean, really, because uh, this is so illuminating. Uh, um. My view is that uh, that much of the control that they have is, is illegitimate, and once the, the people are able to to see how the power structure was set up um, and how they are maintaining it, I think the uh, the illusion will shatter, and that they will that the public will be able to recover its its power, reclaim its power, because it's. It's really a, what you know, their, their method of control is really through, uh, you know, through oppression, through mind control, telling us that we have to do things, even though they don't have the authority, you know, to make those impositions upon us. Well, they've so brainwashed us that people are going along with it as though they do have the authority. It's that's mind numbing. That's what we've been talking about for months now. <laughs> it, it is, and the Rothschilds, um, you know, they, they've always said. Uh, if you act as though you have power, you'll find that soon people will they'll give it to you. Oh so it, it, it's an act. Well, you know, I am seeing people standing up for power, like in Denmark, what Timothy was talking about, and of course in England, they're they're firing up as well, and in Canada, I think we're still kind of asleep in the U.S. and we're just about at break time, so. I'm really stunned, actually, by all that you've just shared. I had no idea the depth of it. It it does go back very far, but I am inspired that um, that there are uh, the the public is rising up. I'd like to see more of that, Eric. I think we're a little too complacent still. For sure, we are. For sure, we are. I, you know, World War II, the war was over there somewhere, and you know, it takes the Chinese coming down from Canada to be right here before we wake up. Is that what's going on? Okay, we're at the break time. You're listening to the other side of the news, and we've got an amazing guest tonight, Susan Bradford. Uh, Our show is called Tyranny of the Bloodlines, and we will return after the break.
other side of midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. It's funny because I think, you know, I went through my crazy phase where I made mistakes before the internet and before social media and before any of this. Whereas now you can't do that. There's no such thing. So like you're saying about black and white and what it does is it stops people expressing themselves. People are too frightened. It's like, you know, I want to say something, but if, what if I use the wrong term? But I remember a story a couple of years ago where Benedict Cumberbatch, who at the time was a darling in the media's eyes, was complaining about the disparity between the treatment of um, black actors and of white actors. And, and he was sticking up and saying, you know, they're not getting paid as well. They're not getting the jobs that they should be getting. And they're being, there is no equality. But what he said was there isn't equality for colored actors. Well, you've said colored there, Benedict, you can't do that. And so they went for him and he was vilified and he had to come out and do a big apology. Now what it was, it was, it was a slip of the tongue. He's obviously not racist. He's actively trying to say that there is discrimination and he's trying to stick up for that community, but he was vilified and attacked. And that's what happens now. And so when people make their mistakes now, they make their mistakes on the internet. They make their mistakes on social media where they're screenshotted forever. And so, I think that's all part of the conditioning that people are frightened. You know, if you're in a position where I don't know what to say, I don't know what to say, in the end, you'll go, well, I won't say anything then. The fallout of this is going to be extraordinary with that because people don't realize, you know, when you, 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 you're phoning up the police and grassing on your neighbors and when all this ends, they're still going to be your neighbors and you're still going to have to live next door to them. And good luck with that. Hello everyone, my name's Gareth Ike. It's been a pleasure to talk on the other side of the news. Fantastic conversation with Kinthea, Timothy and Annetta. And I wish you all the best with a fantastic podcast. show is Tyranny Through the Bloodline, and our special guest is Susan Bradford, 
and she is a prolific author, and we're having a fascinating conversation about the bloodlines and how they, you know, how this whole thing started and what propelled it. Now, I have a particular interest in the connection with the Central Asia, Communist China, the New World Order, and all of the bizarre satanic ritual that comes around with that. And I know that you've drawn these connections in your books, and I'd like for you to talk a little bit about that. Okay. (laughs) Um, Now, I I can speak generally about the the satanic um, practices. Um, I generally don't like going into the particulars of them because I find them too unsettling. Um, but the, the Central Asians um, were were known to to practice like uh, demon possession. Uh, they believed that they had the ability to uh, to regenerate, meaning that um, they could uh, continue to recycle themselves generation after generation. Um, and the emperors were those who had who believed that they could um, that they were like the, they were in their third, fourth, fifth life uh, here on Earth. Um, they were um, also engaged in, um, you know, like pedophilia, which is part of the part of their rituals. Um, after they massacred people, um, they would cannibalize their victims. Um, they used, um, you know, blood drinking uh, as part of their uh, ability to, um, or a, a tactic, or not a tactic, but it, it was a means through which they were able to um, jump from one body to another or to, to facilitate demon possession. Okay, so. I, I get that, but the, the thing that I found really fascinating when I had heard you before was that uh, the connection between how that, you know, those beliefs, how it translated to what is going on today and, and how that transfer happened. Okay, so how, how those practices um, originated in Central Asia and then spread throughout the world? Yes. Okay, um, that's a very good question. Um, so... Since the um, the, the merchants, uh, the, you know, these were like the, the leading merchants who, whose companies eventually formed the multinationals, um, were engaging in trade throughout the world. Um, with with the spread of commerce, um, their um, these tactics or these rituals in in China, Central Asia, also spread because they believed that China was was superior to them. They, uh, China ha- had advanced technologies. They had um, more wealth, or at least wealth that they had coveted, um, and so they, they put China in a superior position. Um, also, China demanded that others um, uh, provide them tribute, and that it always that China be held um, as the dominant force. So they began to um, uh, embrace the Chinese uh, ethos as opposed to bringing um, a Judeo-Christianity, you know, to uh, to Europe. Um, now the, the Rothschilds um, were uh, were connected to these Central uh, Asian emperors, um, who uh, required that um, any uh, foreign power that wished to do trade with them or to engage in their very lucrative markets, that they were required to participate in these rituals with them. So you know, once that began to happen, you know, the elites who wanted uh, to gain access to China, where you know the, the money and power um, actually resided, um, they would then have to uh, acquire, you know, participate in these rituals, and then of course um, uh, the practices, you know, spread throughout the world. So, 
it's not unlike what we see today where there's this, um, you know, you have to do certain things to be in the club. It hasn't changed a bit, right? That, that's correct, correct. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, the thing is, okay, so what I, I, I think that maybe um, where I'm glitching a little here is that we're talking about the people of Central uh, Asia, which I have heard many stories about, and you can clear me up, I'm sure, on this because I'm no expert. But uh, is this the same people that some people refer to as the Kasarian Mafia? Are these the same individuals? Okay, now I, I know that the Kasarian Mafia do receive a lot of press. Um, so the uh, the Kasarians were um, they were a bloodthirsty warriors um, from Central Asia. Uh, who were forced under threat of extermination to select um, a religion um, because they, you know, they, they were, um, they were, they were just so so corrupt and 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 troublesome. So they chose a Judaism for the simple reason that the Muslims had a caliphate, um, the Christians had their own empire, and the Jews were promised a kingdom of their own. So the Kazarians were, um, they were. Uh, a, a kind of a Jewish group um, that eventually infiltrated uh, the, the West. But the Central Asians who are pushing this agenda are actually Buddhist and, Confu- and uh, Confucian. In fact, deism um, is Confucianism interpreted uh, through the lens of Christianity. So I think there is a Kazarian element, um, but there, there, there are a lot of um, uh, mercenary uh, tribes uh, th- scattered throughout Central Asia who would not be Kazarian. Okay, so we're talking. So w- what you're saying is, is they might there, there are there is some overlap, but just because you're of this bloodline stuff does not mean that you're from the Kazarian. But yes, because uh, Rothschild leads the agenda, and he has identified himself as being Jewish, um, I, I think that the Jewish Kazarian element is kind of attached to him and to, you know, his agenda. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, that's another thing that people, uh, you know, oftentimes confuse because uh, saying that you're Jewish, uh, Jewish is uh, hmm, uh, not necessarily hereditary. It, it, it can be, it's a choice for, for many that they, they can say they're Jewish um, and not necessarily have any of the blood. So when we're talking about bloodlines that are so valuable to them, that that may or may not be the case uh, here. It's just like what we're looking at uh, with Islam, and Islam is is actually, they say it's a religion, but it's actually a whole political thing, too. So sometimes these lines get really blurred, and it gets really confusing, and that's why I'm trying to ask the questions. Because I'm I'm confused by this question myself, you know what I mean? it's yeah. a very good question, and um, the originally the Roman Empire was established through um, a divine right to rule. So that so Jesus had actually established a sacred bloodline um, through initiation and and through uh, through genetics. And so the, the Vatican attempted to usurp that you know, through Saint Peter, and then the um, the Central Asians in turn uh, tried to establish a mandate from heaven, you know, through conquest. But ultimately, they, they want to eliminate uh, those bloodlines that, um, that connect to God and to implant a satanic bloodline um, in, in the positions of power throughout the world. So they, they are aware of all of their bloodlines all the way back, or they, do they keep meticulous records, or how is this happening? Um, I would say that um, the, the Rothschilds um, are the principal bloodline. Um, 
they will uh, they marry within their own family, uh, so they, they keep the wealth and power uh, within their own circles, and then they will have um, affairs with the, the stable boy, the maid, and then create um, you know create world leaders from from those uh, those individuals. So, for example, um, Bill Clinton is a Rothschild bloodline. Queen Elizabeth II is a Rothschild bloodline. So was uh, Chairman Mao, Mao Zedong, Stalin. Um, and if you recall, uh, Jeffrey Epstein spoke about seeding the world with his sperm, and that's yeah. exactly what, what they do. Is they they will have uh, um, affairs with obscure families throughout the world, and then they will bloom those children and, and it helps them reach uh, positions of, of of influence. Right, we're seeing an awful lot of that. I mean, I, I'm I'm very much into that. Uh, I and a lot of people think I'm crazy, but. <laughs> I've tracked down a lot of them, and boy, they're they're very prolific. Uh, <laughs> and they use and, and they use lots of names. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of scary how many of them. Yeah, we don't realize. And you know, they are really groomed. Like I have a picture of um, was it Angela Merkel, Theresa May, and who's the other one? Another female. Um, Hillary. They, you know, they huh? Hillary Clinton. Uh, it wasn't Hillary. It was someone in Europe. Um, it'll come to me at a weird time, but uh, yeah, they're they're all in power, and right now, currently, women in power, and uh, they they all grew up together, and they all knew each other and hung out. And there's a lot of this. You you can track them back over and over. So, you know, I was just I was just curious. So they must know that they're in there uh, in the bloodline, and then and they don't seem to care if it's it's just the maid or whatever, because there is a lot of that. You're right. Um, Correct, and I think it helps them to have uh, these individuals come from obscure families because nobody ever suspects that those people, like a Rothschild or or an, uh, or an elite. And you'll see this pattern um, recurring throughout history, where a, a person will be born into a very a poor family, and then suddenly this individual becomes uh, the CEO of a multi-billion-dollar corporation, mm-hmm. you know, or or the you know leader of a of a of a government, even though his background um, would not lead you to believe that, you know, he, he would not be able to achieve, to have achieved his level of success on his own. So there are always, yeah. you know, private influences that are supporting them and propelling them. Right. And now they've expanded that even further beyond the bloodlines, I think, for the little minions. Like if you join the club, like if you want to go anywhere, music industry or politics or movies or, you know, Big Pharma even, you, you know, you need to join the club. So even if you're not a bloodline, you still have to participate in the activities. And uh, so I think there's different levels inside their, their little, you know, their, how, how, are you are you full bloodline? Are you bastard child? Are you just a hanger on her? <laughs> Am I right? No, you are right. But the, 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 those who, uh, who do participate, you know, they are making a, a deal with the devil. And the Rothschilds ultimately want to keep the money and power within their own families. So if you do go along and you you join the rituals and the practices and and join the club, um, you you will get so far that um, they will use you for their own purposes. And then once you've outlived your usefulness, you know, they will dispose of you and claw back whatever wealth, you know, or, or influence that you had back to themselves. Right. That's like a friend of mine that says, you know, all these people that are doing all these nefarious things. It's like, oh, yeah, that's like uh, paying the cannibals to eat you last. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Silliness, huh? So, okay. So uh, I wanted to ask you also about the Tartars. Now, I don't know a lot about this, and I 
think the reason I don't is because they were purposely erased from history to a great extent. Tell us about how that's connected to what we're seeing and how this is all, you know, coming together at this point. Okay, that's a good question. So, um, Tartar, um, like Tartary, or sometimes it goes by the name of Tartaros, um, it has been referred to throughout um, uh, Greek mythology, throughout history, as the land of hell, the land of demons. Um, so this was an area, you know, where they were uh, practicing a demon possession and all sorts of, of, of magic, which were really advanced forms of uh, technology that they had acquired. Um, I'm not exactly sure how they acquired it, but they had um, technology that those who were not initiated would, would perceive as magic. Um, so uh, Tartary refers to the Central Asian um, area um, in which the, you know, the, the Jesuits and um, the, you know, the, the Franciscan missionaries um, were, were engaging, the merchants were engaging. So it is the land of hell. And if you, if you go back to uh, you know, some of the early, uh, early um, uh, like flags and architecture, you'll see that, you know, that they have, that they use the owl and the dragon and different uh, symbolism that is now very pervasive amongst, you know, the royal families. So that they do trace it to this area. Um, and this, there are um, records re revealing that um, the CIA and, and other agencies have erased the history of Tartary, you know, I think for obvious reasons. Mm. Okay. So with, with that, like, how does, how are you? Is that is that where the idea of the? Because I I thought what you were saying is the the thing of the the ritualistic abuse and the pedophilia and all this dark nefarious stuff coming from the Chinese and the influence they had because these people wanted to gain power. But right. what I'm hearing from from this, the land of the Tartar. And they, they, they actually had acquired the knowledge maybe from someplace else, or am I misunderstanding that? Um, now, th this is kind of a, a controversial area. I, I don't get into aliens. <laughs> I never researched the space alien agenda. But um, the, the Mongolians, for example, had um, their empire expanded to the Ar Arctic, and they, they had um, uh, a type of technology or magic. Like, for example, they, they would say, um, and this is documented in the missionary records, I can have an object move, like a glass, move from a table to my hand without having any individual um, intercede or intercept that, that transaction. So they had some type of advanced technology that they would use to um, oppress others and to demonstrate like their, their power. It was some type of, uh, I, I don't know exactly how they were able to do what they, they did, but these you know, type of magic uh, power, magical powers were documented in, in Jesuit records. Okay. So they, so they were erased. Okay. So basically we've got them erased from history, but we still know that they were there. They somehow acquired knowledge that would impress, intimidate others. So are we still saying that that's kind of separate or did the Chinese information, do, or is there a connection? I'm trying to draw, is there a connection or not between the Tartars and the Chinese knowledge of the esoteric knowledge? Yes. So uh, Tartary uh, is, is actually encompasses China. So it used to be called Tartary or okay. Tartars. Um, and uh, I, I think that there, there were vast, 
uh, tribes throughout Central Asia, many of which were exterminated. I think, you know, the giants um, were, were among them. Um, Gulliver's Travels uh, refers to, um, which was a, a novel, obviously, but um, uh, refers to like, the, the giants and the Lilliputians, like, these different types of people who were, you know, depicted in, uh, in British novels, you know, from, based, based upon uh, reports, you know, from explorers and, and missionaries. Okay, so, well, that brings me to, um, you know, they, they obviously usurped their power. They, they basically said, we have the power and we can rule over you. I mean, they, they bought their way in, right? And then they, then they say, we have all this power. And then you're talking about uh, literary items, and they had to have their stuff written down. And one of the things that you had referred to was the, the connection with Shakespeare and the encoding. So is that... Uh, is that coming directly from from the charter, or is this something else? Is, are we are we jumping around a little here? Okay, so Shakespeare um, what, was um, it was actually a Walter Raleigh, Sir Walter Raleigh, and Sir Francis Bacon. Um, Sir Walter Raleigh was uh, sent by Queen uh, Elizabeth to North America to establish to establish colonies um, and new markets for for the um, uh, for the East India Company. Um, so had access, you know, Walter Raleigh had access to, um, to this knowledge, um, you know, through the merchants and also through his own um, connections to Italy and, and, you know, the Italian merchants. Okay, so they, so he was able to, so did they, did he write this stuff so that they would have kind of the, the code book and be able to distribute it and, because they didn't have they didn't have publishing then, so I'm just trying to figure out why they would do it that way versus write some other ma manual. <laughs> because originally um, the British monarchy held the divine right to rule, and essentially they were being um, challenged by the Vatican. The Vatican was trying to excommunicate <laughs> um, and establish its dominion over Great Britain. So they were bringing these like satanic practices over over to Britain, and uh, Sir Walter Raleigh was attempting to you know to, to warn others and to you know maybe try to um, I, I guess it was his form of uh, form of commentary. Okay, so he's trying to to not have the British crown taken over uh, from the what were the rest going to call the Tartars. Well, I, I think um, uh, I, I don't think he was thinking uh, of, of the Tartars, but I, I think um, at, at the time um, North America um, was had had already been infiltrated by um, by the by the, the Jesuits and and the um, the Italian merchants. You know, they originally um, colonized the West Coast. Um, they set up the, the you know the missionaries. They established um, a port, you know, the port at um, San Francisco. Um, when um, once they began to um, to move into North America, um, the Vatican wanted to claim North America for itself, and so on the, on the other side of the continent, um, the uh, the British monarchy, which was Protestant um, and which you know wanted to remain separate from the Vatican, um, was establishing its own colonies, which posed a um, you know a challenge to uh, you know to the Vatican's um, uh, uh, intended empire, so. Um, so Walter Raleigh observed that um, some of the early colonists were struck down by smallpox and, and chemical warfare and, and other, uh, other means you know, to prevent them from, you know, from colonizing North America. So you know, they were competing for, you know, for dominion of the world. 
I, I think I don't think the um, the British wanted dominion. They were trying to establish a country of by and for the free people under God. But um, the uh, the Vatican wanted to uh, to rule the world um, with with China, um, and so they began to um, you know to attack uh, any anybody who uh, you know who challenged that agenda. Okay, so the the connection between I'm still trying to piece stuff together. Sorry, I'm a bit slow here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so the the, the Chinese um, the Chinese connection with the Vatican. I'm I'm I maybe I missed part of this puzzle. Um, so they came in, and I I've lost I've lost the plot there a little bit. Yeah, with the how that's connected, and and since I can see that they're working together, but how did that start out? What was the original connection with how they were working together? Okay, the original connection was uh, through the Mongolians. So um, the Vatican sent uh, missionaries to the Mongolian emperor um, in an effort to uh, convert the Mongolians. They they knew that um, the you know their, their people, their subjects, um, uh, followed the lead of you know of the emperor of the Khans, and so they were hoping to convert the Khans to uh, Catholicism uh, with the view of converting all of Central Asia. Uh, yeah, to uh, yeah, to uh, uh, Catholicism, um, and so once they failed, that failed to happen, um, the uh, the Jesuits uh, planned to uh, overthrow the Mongolian Empire, and then they implanted their own like puppet regime uh, in Central Asia. And so, they, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Finish. Oh uh, yes. So um, with each each revolution, the Jesuits were able to acquire more power and more influence with the Chinese emperor. So eventually, by the um, the 16th and um, 17th centuries, uh, they were working hand in hand in hand to promote the rational enlightenment and you know revolutions around the world. And this was for the purposes of conquest. Okay, so this is the beginning of the color revolutions, which is what we're experiencing all over the place today. Correct. That, correct. Was, that was where we got the blueprint for color revolution. That's correct. Okay. Now I can see the connection. All right. <laughs> We're getting somewhere. <laughs> There's a lot of moving parts here. Uh, so they, 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 they fomented the first color revolution, basically. They went in and created a situation out of nothing so that they could take over. Correct. Right. I mean, that's the way we describe color revolutions today. Mm-hmm. And then, um, uh, they, they they kind of kept kept doing it over and over again over through time mm-hmm. without anyone realizing maybe that they were the same people doing it over and over. Is it very much like the cabal where they they were really masters of disguise, like what we're seeing today, where they they disguise themselves as all these different um, organizations and all these different groups. They, they did, and they also had a practice of um, exterminating and eliminating their rivals. So they would eliminate anybody who was non-essential, but who knew their secrets. So they would also eliminate their political rivals. So once we overthrew them, overthrew a royal family, um, uh, a powerful elite um, network, they would then um, exterminate those people and then claim the assets for themselves. Mm. So, um, and, and we're just about out of time, but I did want to ask one question before we go, and that is about the... Uh, the, the Masons, the Freemasons, is there, is this the genesis of, of their knowledge, do you think, or am I barking up a bad tree here? No, the, 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 the Freemasons were originally Christians, um, and they, who supported the, the British monarchy, 
um, who in, in turn was the head of the Church of England and who held the divine right to rule. Once the Rothschilds um, infiltrated themselves into the British monarchy, um, the, the Freemasons then turned satanic. Okay. Hmm. There's the connection. Okay. I always wondered where that, that the genesis of all that knowledge was coming from. Or the real genesis of that, we really don't know, do we? Uh, the real genesis would be in, in Central Asia. Right. Not the Freemasons. The Freemasons were, um, you know, working for the British monarchy uh, on the, in service of God. And then once they became infiltrated, these other darker elements began to infiltrate the Freemasons. Okay. They, yeah, they were Masons, and then they were Freemasons, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, we're, we're actually right at that time where we're right up against the break. I, I love this. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back. Uh, tonight's show is Tyranny Through Bloodlines. And our guest tonight is Susan Bradford, prolific author. Um, and we have a lot in the show items page. And we will be back right after break. One of the ways that this organized crime system has been able to monopolize the media and has been able to uh, control the government and control perception at a, on a wide scale is because it's the banks at the core and they've been given the privilege of creating money out of thin air using a technique called fractional reserve banking. Where the central banks backstop the money center banks to create money out of thin air. So when you go to get a loan, whether it's a mortgage or a car loan, that's not depositor money that they're loaning you. Uh, they just credit your account with some dollar credits, and you're off to the races. And then you spend the rest of your life paying interest on a mortgage that somebody created out of thin air. And that's the reason why the bank is the largest building in every city on the planet. Because they're making outrageous profits by getting to loan money at interest that they created out of thin air. This is Etienne de la Boissy Squared, the author of Government, the Biggest Scam in History, Exposed. And some of my favorite conversations are the ones that I have on the other side of the news with Timothy, Netta, and Kentia. Thank you for doing what you do and providing the service that you provide. And welcome back. You're listening to the other side of the news. Susan, I've been listening intently and have a few questions, if I may. Uh, 
we're talking about the sort of cocktail making of the, the royal bloodlines. We're going back to a point of uh, William Shakespeare, Elizabeth I in the United, I say United Kingdom, is in England, I guess, at that time. Um, the thought that occurs to me, the way I, I learned history, I'm not trying to say I know better, I'm just trying to say this is the way that I was indoctrinated at school, was that the, the rift began between uh, the Vatican and, and uh, the royal family uh, at the time of sort of Henry VIII, because he clearly had his eye on a lot of ladies and he, he wanted to divorce one and jump into bed with the next one. And apparently she said no until he could annul the first marriage. And that meant uh, breaking off relations with the Vatican, which is what I understand. I mean, maybe that's just complete fiction. No, it, you're, you're absolutely uh, correct. Um, King Henry VIII wanted to divorce Catherine of, of Argonne. I believe that she was the aunt of the Holy Roman Emperor. I think it may have been Charles um, V at the time. Um, and of course, uh, the Vatican did not want to um, to approve the divorce uh, because the Vatican had a, um, a strategic alliance with the Holy Roman Empire and it hoped to wield influence over the king through that relationship. Um, so I guess when I was, um, uh, I mentioned uh, the Queen Elizabeth and, and Sir Walter Raleigh, I was, um, I, I think, attempting to address um, the Vatican's efforts to uh, to sabotage um, the Protestant monarch's efforts to colonize North America. Mm. No, I, I see that. I see that point clearly. Mm-hmm. What, I'm, what I'm curious about is to bring attention to Henry VIII. I mean, he, he obviously had uh, many wives during his, uh, his innings. Yes, he did. And uh, I'm just wondering, you know, it was marketed to us, you know, the, the, the people, um, as he just wanted to do that. You know, obviously he had, but I mean, was it far more strategic? Obviously it was far more strategic because, you know, a lot of these uh, ladies at the time, they were not from the UK, they were from surrounding countries. And obviously that is like not only fusing bloodlines or creating the cocktail, but it's also creating alliances between different countries and different states. So do you see that that was also a point when you know, the, the infiltration was occurring in the bloodline? Yes, I, I do believe that it was. And uh, I, I believe that the, um, the British or the, the Catholic monarchs were attempting to um, to establish um, marital relationships and alliances with the Protestant, mar- um, uh, the Protestant mar- monarchs so that the Vatican could infiltrate and control uh, those monarchies. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, um, I believe that uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, um, the first was actually um, Anne Boleyn. Is, is that correct? And that That's was correct. Yes. Yes. So she held the um, uh, the divine right to rule. I, I know. I know that the Vatican was attempting to excommunicate her. You know, mm. since she was un, uncontrollable. Well, but also, I mean, as far as I know, she she was the way she presented herself in in public was to actually sort of you know, put white makeup on and sort of make herself look. Uh, she would say unnatural or sort of more than supernatural almost i say as uh, she's dressed in sort of her, her yeah her, what can i say her get up the way she presents herself looks like she was you know trying to be more than human mm-hmm. i think so i'm not so going in the extraterrestrial direction here obviously i'm just just saying that you know, she wanted to be like the new 
religious religious figure as well as um, as, as the monarch. Yes, she did, and I know that she was very passionate about defending um, Christianity throughout the world. Yeah, it, it seems that we're we're all living on the same planet, but we're looking through you know history with with polarized lenses. You know, some of us see or most of us see that the history we're taught at school and college, university, and so on. But on the other hand, if, if you are a member of the, the elite, the minority, as I call them, then you see things in a very different way. I mean, we see borders between countries. I mean, we've just seen this with the, the breakup of the UK leaving uh, Europe and uh, going back to an independent nation, apparently. Um, we see it with you know, we, we see a world covered with borders, imaginary lines where you need passports to cross lines. Uh, these have not been around for that many decades, actually. Um, I think it was going back to only what sort of 1920s, 30s or something that passports were even a thing. Uh, it could even be, is it more like the Second World War that, that they were introduced as, as, as to cross into different, uh, the different countries? So we, we see that the world as covered with lines and borders, imaginary lines that we cannot walk over. And we see it even more now with the vaccine passports coming out. Again, I use the word vaccine very loosely. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're in the club, then you don't see those borders. And, you know, we, we want to identify who are they, who are the minority, who are, you know, the Illuminati, who are the, you know, whatever name people give to them. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, um, those people sound like they're constantly moving, evolving, morphing. Um, so you could almost say, well, where there is power, that's that's where they're heading towards uh, or part of. Would you say that's true or is there some mark we can see to say, ah, that is a definite, you know, um, club member of, of, of this group? I think that's absolutely true. Um, they subscribe to um, a view of... of um, like, um, like the rect- it's called the rectific- rectification of names. So if if you're an elite, you should have um, all the, the trappings of the elite, which means that you should have access to the secret knowledge. You should have um, as much wealth as possible, um, as much power as possible. While the, the poor are relegated to uh, you know to oppression. And what we're seeing with um, with the globalists is that. Um, since they have created these transnational corporations, um, which were, you know, of course, built with uh, um, on, on the backs of the taxpayers, with government funding, with the government actually working to protect their markets, um, to even uh, prevent um, new entrants into their markets, um, to the point, you know, of, of even launching uh, cor- uh, federal um, corruption probes um, or even, uh, you know, destroying, you know, rivals at, at their at their um, behest. Um, that these multinationals um, don't owe their allegiance to any company, even though they've, they've taken the wealth from from the, their these you know from the people. Um, so they don't have allegiance to, to any country. It's mainly to to profits and to their own power. So you, you're now we're now seeing that the pharmaceutical companies, for example, are, are dictating what, what our government does. Mm, you know? Absolutely, it's, it's incredible. Some of these deals we've heard about how South American countries. Uh, have been given very strict conditions on which to be able to buy you know, these these COVID uh, injections and so on. And if they don't live up to the 
you know, giving total immunity to these, these uh, producers, then they're, they're simply sold that they cannot buy it. So it is an absolute position of, of, of you know, tyranny, blackmail. And also these large corporations, they, they also don't seem to pay tax anywhere as well. They, they seem to, you know, have a 365-day uh, concept of living, or, or I don't know exactly how they do it, but I have an idea that they, they basically set up a, a, a constantly moving mobile uh, business entity, which is, is, is kind of moving around the planet in different uh, countries and just before the, the, the minimum number of days is, is up, then they change the entity to a different place and therefore they don't you know, have to fulfill the, the tax um, payments in that particular place. So it is constantly moving, constantly revolving. But that's correct. And since they've created the laws, they know how to exploit them. Um, and I, it, was, it was very interesting for me to, um, to study the, um, the Indian tribe um, which were essentially created by uh, the oil and gas companies and later, uh, you know, corporate America, where they were able to set up um, kind of uh, jurisdictions on American soil that w- were exempt from taxes. At the same time, these Indian tribes were able to launch um, like frivolous lawsuits that to which they were awarded um, millions, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars um, from the taxpayer that were then redirected to the corporations. And at the same time, you know, while, while they're shielding themselves from taxes, they're imposing greater taxes upon uh, upon the public. So really, we're looking at a, a, a structure that they've set up to redistribute wealth from, um, from the nations, from the people, to themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, that that seems to be a model that they tend to enjoy. I have to say, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, now, I see that you've also um, written. Well, several books, of course. I, unfortunately, I have not had time to, to study them in any, any great detail beforehand. But uh, the, the tribes that Rockefeller built, that's one of the books I think you're referring to right now, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, and also, there's another one which caught my eye, which is um, unusual title of uh, F133C3D. Could you tell me a little bit about that? I, I noticed that Elon Musk's name is involved with that. Um, that was a, a sort of a, a play on words. Um, it should read "please," um, written in technocracy, I guess. Um, so within uh, that, that book, um, I, I explored um, a, the background of a Supreme Court case um, in which the justices uh, awarded half of the state of Oklahoma to Indian country. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in the process, I was able to uncover um, a network of um, uh, commercial interests uh, surrounding the, um, the COVID, uh, uh, healthcare industry, um, the Green New Deal, oil companies um, that were kind of working hand in hand um, through the Indian tribes in order to amass more uh, more wealth, more power for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Elon Musk was uh, um, was invited to, uh, to you know they were trying to actually bring him to to Tulsa. Um, so that he would bring his, he would establish a new um, electronic gigafactory um, in Oklahoma. I think um, Texas was able to lure him away. But just seeing the, the dynamics of how they were able to um, to set up you know this the system and they were able to kind of uh, extract money you know millions from the government for green energy projects you know losing you know while these um, companies went belly up I thought it was very interesting. You can just see you know, how they're working hand in hand over over decades. 
Well, you know, many of the, the technological things that Elon Musk seems to be involved with, I admire some of the results that come out of it. I also um, also discussed about some of the things he is also involved in as well. Uh, it's another whole conversation. But one thing is, is very clear is that he is uh, presented to the planet as a golden boy. And, uh, you know, the whole marketing setup has been going on for yeah, as long as I can remember. I mean, how many times have you been through an airport bookshop and you see his picture on the, on the front cover of his, you know, his book, which is basically, you know, uh, uh, yeah, his, his marketing campaign. Now, do you think that he is part of this group or do you think he's a, a, a pawn in this being used by this group? Because it, it seems very clear to me that he is being allowed or permitted to do what he's doing uh, at this time, as opposed to, you know, single-handedly breaking through and doing this all out of his own, you know, will and intention. I don't, I don't believe that he could have done this on his own because uh, as an independent operator, he wouldn't have been allowed to. But he was um, the, the grand uh, son of the founder of the Technocratic Party in Canada. And I think that that connection um, helped propel his career. Um, he's also uh, a member, I believe, of the Royal Society of, of London, um, uh, which I think ultimately answers to the British monarchy and to the, you know, the British elites. Which um, you know, who are promoting uh, the global technocratic agenda. So I believe that he has been connected to the right people, and the taxpayers have uh, supported his companies. Um, you know that have miraculously failed, um, have uh, or have not been able to uh, to generate a profit. And yet still, you know, Elon Musk is um, has you know managed to you know, become quite wealthy, you know, through these companies. Right. That, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yes. How that right. works. But, um, yeah, I mean, do you, do you think there's a connection between what he is actually doing in terms of his projects and the, you know, the, I'm going to say, I'm going to call the minority, the minority's agenda. I mean, do you think there is a, a need or a desire for them to get off the planet? Um, do you think there's a need for them to tunnel underground? Do you think there's a need to have this AI technology enhanced or drive around with, you know, uh, no driver or driverless cars. Do you think those things are actually relevant or do you think they just happen to be things that are sellable to, to the, to the masses? Um, I, I, I think this issue is uh, projects are part of the agenda. They're propelling the agenda. Um, the elites ultimately want to rule the world as gods through AI. So they would, they want to be able to establish algorithms and, and, and systems uh, through which they will, be, they will be able to control all of humanity um, under the control of an AI God. Um, so I believe that um, the, the, techni- the, the technocratic project that he's promoting are, are part of that. Um, he is um, promoting, you know, of course, um, electric cars. Um, the elite agenda is to have all cars, um, uh, electric by 2030, or at least as many as possible. Uh, he's definitely advancing towards that agenda. And through electric electric cars, they're hoping to acquire more control um, because you know they, they want to be able to determine where you go um, to you know, to monitor uh, to monitor where you go, go and potentially to control um, your movements through self-driving cars. Um, and I know within America, um, the vehicle has been um, a source of independence where you can you know, go into your car and travel to any 
any part of the country that, that you'd want. Uh, with a self-driving car, you're limited in what and where you can go because the, the car can actually take over and, and drive you to a different location. Um, I know he's also involved with uh, Neuralink, um, which is you know, a form of transhumanism of um, in injecting some type of technology into the brain to be able to, I guess, enhance uh, the human. Which makes you better than yourself, I guess. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I think it's incredible how I'm just, just thinking one particular interview that he made, and that is, you know, he was dead against and warning the world against AI, and then I think within a very short time, changed his mind and said, well, if you can't beat them, let's join them. And then set up sort of many multi-million AI uh, companies. When I say AI, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, augmenting the body with, you know, as you say, uh, uh, essentially connecting a, a smartphone to somebody's brain. I mean, literally, he, he's went gone into great detail about how you drill the hole and you insert this thing like a sort of an Apple Watch or what a smartwatch into the brain. Sorry, not into the brain, but in, into the, the skull cavity to have a robot to you know stick the electrodes in the, in the correct parts of the brain uh, carefully and you know apparently within a matter of years only five six seven years from now then the the ability to download a person's personality certainly memories it, it seems very much on the table now that that doesn't seem to bode well for me but uh uh, some people get excited by it. I believe that that technology has been around since World War II. Um, uh, it appears that the, um, the Nazis acquired it from Central Asia, um, and that th this is part of the elite's quest to, uh, to achieve immortality. So I think they have the ability to, to download one's memories and consciousness and everything that really makes us who we are um, onto a... Um, I guess a 3D kind of holograph or type of chip technology, and then to be able to, to implant that chip into a new body, um, thereby you know, giving the individual a new uh, brain on life. So are you talking about a, a technical solution or, or more of a sort of magical solution? I say magical in inverted commas, but um, is this what all the experimentation was in, in, in during the Second World War with human Guinea pigs? Yeah, they were definitely um, engaging in some type of genetic <laughs> experiments and, and twinning. Um, I, I think the larger goal was uh, an effort to achieve a, a more uh, immortality. So I think once they realized that they had or they were about to acquire uh, all of the wealth they could ever possibly want, the, the one uh, component that they um, that still eluded them was um, the ability ability to live forever and to enjoy. Yeah, all that they had obtained unjustly. Yeah, I have so many questions and go in so many directions. But one of the things that comes to mind is how uh, many of the, should we say, many of the SS and um, some some of the main perpetrators for some fairly heinous deeds in the Second World War were escorted via the Vatican for, to be pardoned and then traveled to South America, apparently, where, you know, it, it's like little Germany over there. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the big figureheads as well, apparently made it that way as well. Even even Adolf Hitler himself is alleged to have been there since, until sort of 1950, mid-1950s or something, apparently. Mm -hmm. And um, do you think that 
Adolf Hitler, this man who was not particularly Aryan looking, but seemed to be supporting the Aryan agenda. Uh, do you think he was infiltrated by the same bloodline? Um, Hitler was um, uh, purportedly the, the grandson of a Rothschild. Um, his grandmother was a maid at the Rothschild mansion in Austria. Um, she was apparently raped through a, some type of um, satanic ritual. And once um, Hitler was born, he received uh, private financial support um, to and political support to achieve what he, he ultimately did. Um, he was also uh, you know, trained in the, the Tavistock Institute um, in London, um, you know, where he learned, uh, you know, to hate the Jews and to gesticulate wild, you know, wildly with his uh, his hands um, in order to uh, to mesmerize audiences. So I, I think that he was he was part of the agenda. Um, and uh, at the time, you know, at least prior to to his uh, ascent, um, the Roundtable in, in London, which was controlled um, in part by, by Rothschild, had decided that um, they wanted to eliminate Germany as a commercial threat to Great Britain. Um, they, of course, they wanted to uh, to bring America into the war, um, into into Europe, and you know, and, and by uh, um, Entering the war, America would then be financially um, and politically compromised. So I think um, Hitler was created to serve a strategic role, and then once he had played the role that he was um, that he had intended to do, um, he he was removed. And of course, um, after the World Wars, um, uh, the Rothschild set up the European Steel Community, which ultimately became the European Union. So this was, you know, part of their um, their strategy to build, you know, to first destroy Europe, rebuild it under, you know, Rothschild control, and then they would emulate the, um, this uh, strategy, you know, throughout the world. Well, well, the thinking of the United States, which was predicted only a few hours before it actually happened, is what brought the United States into the war, I believe. Um, so again, that to be questioned: was that deliberately sunk, that ship? Was it uh, a false flag? Was it um, predetermined? Um, I, I, um, I, I believe that it, it was uh, it was predetermined. Um, I'm trying to remember the, the specifics, but I, I think that Winston Churchill um, might, or there was some type of uh, uh, interception. Um, so I think that, that the Germans were attempting to uh, to warn. Uh, our, our, you know, our, our leaders, and that somehow those um, those communications were intercepted. So, Susan, uh, this is Kinthea, and I know we're coming close to the end of the show, and you said something a couple times that really perked my interest. You mentioned uh, the satanic agenda, and you also mentioned the divine right to rule. And I would like it if you would speak a little bit more about that and what does that look like in current day? I mean, we're, we're seeing how the Rothschilds and, and these families have spread their agenda around the world, the satanic rule. So what is the divine right to rule and how is that looking in current day? Okay. Uh, We've heard, uh, we've heard it said that the the challenges that we face um, are biblical, so um, Jesus is uh, widely recognized as the savior of humanity by the, the Chinese emperors, by the Vatican, by you know, many Christians around the world. Um, 
and he established the divine right to rule through a sacred initiation um, and, and bloodline. And what a, a lot of people do not realize is that um, Jesus did, did not die on the cross. Um, he uh, did live on to, uh, to sire um, a child, which was bred into the royal families in, in exchange for um, their initiation uh, into um, the mystery school, um, which allowed them to uh, first to acquire the, you know, the sacred bloodline and also to, um, you know, to, to serve the people through this initiation to, be, to establish um, God's dominion on earth. Um, so the Vatican, uh, which the Rothschilds ultimately uh, um, took over, uh, had attempted to usurp the divine right to rule um, through St. Peter. Um, St. Peter was, um, had a, uh, recognized Jesus as being the son of God. Um, and Jesus in turn told him that upon you know, this rock, my church shall be, uh, shall be established. But based upon that exchange, the reported, reported exchange between St. Peter and Jesus, the Vatican illegitimately attempted to claim to have God's temporal authority on earth. Um, while working with uh, the, the, the uh, Chinese emperors, um, the Jesuits, um, they, they tried to uh, create a new, um, or interpret religion through reason. And so through reason, they could manipulate and they could um, alter words in order to, um, to advance their agenda. So they had determined that um, the Chinese emperors had uh, predated Noah. Actually, they, they had descended from Noah um, and had even predicted the arrival of Jesus. Um, this, so uh, they, they were trying to make the connection that um, the, the Chinese emperors um, had the purest, most refined version of, of God's law and plan for humanity, which superseded um, the divine right to rule. Therefore, they could claim a mandate from heaven to rule over, over all humanity. And since they were essentially demonic, you know, as we've discussed, they could then uh, impose like a, um, a satanic tyranny over the world. I hope that makes sense. Oh my gosh, it's like a whole nother show. I, I could see doing a whole nother show on this. And guess what? We are at the close here. I, I want to thank you so much. What an amazing show this has been. I'm going to turn it back to Timothy. Thank you, and thank you, Susan. Despite the initial unpleasant realization of the truth, you will see there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is an increasing number of respected journalists, writers, politicians, doctors, lawyers, activists, and innovators who are wide awake and are already making great impact. All they require from you is to unplug from mainstream and social media propaganda, to make your own independent research, and to stop acquiescing. And stand up for what you believe in with respect to others. Remember, you were born with power, and you wake up each day with power. It is entirely up to you how you choose to retain or give it away. We'll be listening to another live broadcast of the other side of the news. This 70th edition is entitled Tyranny Through Bloodlines and remains available to all listeners free of charge at www.theothersideofthenews.com. My name is Timothy Saunders, and together with Kintia and Annetta, offer special thanks to our guest, Susan Bradford. We wish you all a positive week and look forward to reconnecting in seven days' time. Good night.